happy with the club. We're, we're fairly healthy. Uh, you know, I, I like the, the quality of the bats. Uh, like some things we've done on defense. The outfield play really well as far as cutting angles and cutting cut balls off and gaps, keeping guys to singles when they're, they, they have a chance at doubles. Uh, in general, we played pretty good baseball. You know, obviously there's always going to be mistakes, but I thought we'd been fairly aggressive. Uh, guys have worked, so I mean, you know, in general, it's been a, it's been a good camp. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. Uh, joined today by two very special and usual guests. First off, Andre Fernandez. How are you doing, Andre? Hanging in there, man. Getting ready for the season. Yep, we're almost there. And secondly, once again, joined by good old Craig Mish. Mr. Mish, how are you? I'm very well, Jordan. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, of course. And guys, it's finally here. Opening day, just a few days away. First game's April 1st, Thursday, 4, 10 p.m. against the Tampa Bay Rays. And we have some news as we get closer to it. Let's start off with the biggest news that came out of Monday. Sixo Sanchez, according to the sources who told the Herald, Sixo starting at the alternate training site, which isn't really unexpected, but it's good to finally have that news out there. I mean, Sixto was delayed twice in camp, first by a visa issue, then a couple weeks later by a false positive COVID-19 test. He only threw eight innings during Grapefruit League play, never threw more than three in the third in a given outing, was only up to about 60 pitches. They wanted him to be able to throw five and between 75 and 80 pitches. He wasn't there yet. So it's not a surprise, but again, now the news is out there. Just let's start with Craig. What's your initial response to this? Yeah, I, I think that this was pretty obvious weeks ago, but I, I suppose it just it takes sometimes it takes some things to be official or have the club say it in order to really have it sink home. The the Marlins they don't have this policy necessarily, but they have the belief, I guess, is a better word that they'd like to see their guys throw twenty innings in spring training at a minimum in order to be ready for the regular season. And so Sixto was not going to be there, but Jordan, the innings that you mentioned were, were very solid. He, he kind of, you know, more or less looked like the player that we saw at least at the beginning of when he got called up last year. Now he'll go to the alternate site. He'll make, I would think at least two starts would be my guess. And then, uh, you know, Jordan, Andre, I, I would say that, you know, right around the timeline that I had about a month ago, I, I think that we'll see him either in the second or third week of the season. But make no mistake about it, this is also about limiting innings. And if the Marlins have belief that they can play into the postseason in October, you want to make sure that Sixto Sanchez is going to be there for you. And if you start him on opening day, then how how are you going to get 150, 160 innings out of him starting right from the season in the big leagues? And I think that's part of it as well. So we'll just kind of have to see how the season plays out. Uh, from what I understand and what I'm told, the innings management is at that 150 to 160 with a possibility of 170. And so that essentially would have to mean that if the Marlins are headed toward the postseason or in it, you'll see him get to 150, 160. If they're not, I don't think you'll see him at the end of September. Definitely on that. And with that first couple weeks, the Marlins have the luxury. Day four, day nine, and day 19 are off days for them this regular season. That means that through the first four turns, they only need a fifth starter once, theoretically. 
So the fact that they can roll out a four-man rotation and still have everybody more or less online with the exception of that one, that one start on day 14, it gives them that chance to roll with, potentially stick with uh, Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez is the one-two, and then Eliezer Hernandez and Trevor Rogers is the three-four. And then just had to figure out how to go with that, that guy during the third turn to figure out that fifth spot. Andre, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, much more to add. I mean, it basically, that that's a clue right there from the beginning was that they have that schedule flexibility early on to do this. Nobody expected this wasn't going to be a 6-0, 200-inning season or anything crazy like that. And and like Craig said, yeah, you want to manage those innings. Even during the season, you're going to see some of that where maybe there's going to be some creative way of starting him maybe if they are still in it and they're looking to keep him fresh going into September. And, you know, and early on, let's say even you run into a case where there's an injury or someone gets lit up and comes out early, something like that. They have long relief options where they can mix and match and, and continue to, to manage that for the first couple of weeks until they feel like six those ready. So really no surprise on that front. Yeah. And then the other news that came out of camp on the final day of Grapefruit League play for the Marlins, uh, general manager Kim Ang announced that Jazz Chisholm will indeed be the starting second baseman to begin the year. Again, like the Sixto news, with the way he was playing the final couple weeks of spring training, it felt like a matter of time before that became public. It seemed like, again, it was between him and Isan Diaz. Isan will start in AAA and at the alternate site before that. But the way Jazz played, the energy he brought, and just the fact that it seemed like he was on that right trajectory, that also seemed like it was going to come into effect. Yeah, I, I think it felt that way over the last week or so. I, I went back and forth on this for a while. I, I, I thought that coming into camp, the Jazz would win the job. But as tough as this is to say, I think that that is part of this equation. I also think Isan Diaz lost this job. He went 0 for 21 at the end of spring training. And and look, there there comes a time, and I understand that the organization is not going to throw their guys under the bus, but I mean, I have to keep it real. Isan did not have a good spring. I don't feel, even though their general manager, Kimming, said that he was unlucky, I don't feel that way. Was he unlucky on the, his last plate appearance that I saw where he hit the ball hard? I thought it was a hit. They called it an error. Of course, that was the case. But there isn't anyone that I've talked to on or off the field in that organization that thought that Eson had a good spring. I personally feel his future with the organization is in serious doubt because if jazz does play well, I don't think that even if he was jazz was to move to shortstop that they would hand the keys over second base to Eson in 2022. So I, I think that some, Real serious work is going to have to be done by him in the minor leagues. I do think he'll get another shot to play in the big leagues at some point, somewhere, either in Miami or somewhere else. But this was arguably, to me, the biggest disappointment of the spring. Uh, Andre Jordan, guys, Jazz had no AAA experience. Isan Diaz got beat out by a player with no AAA experience. I, I just can't say that enough. It was his job to win, and he did not. Well, Jazz's tools and his versatility, I think, showed. I mean, I think that's what we've what we've expected from, we've been hoping to see from this kid. It's it's finally showing, and then well, that was his job to lose. You're right, and 
Now they're saying they're going to give Eason Diaz reps at third. Reps, I'm sorry, at third. I mean, it's good to say that, but can he excel at third? Can he play well at third? That increase would increase his versatility. But I think this opens the door, like you're saying, in the long run. Now you look at second base down the road. Is that Jose Devers's job eventually? You know, is it for a guy like that or someone else coming up the pipe or one of the middle infielders? Because Isan's not in good standing now in terms of what, what his future could be with the franchise. But, you know, we get to see Jazz and we get to see how, you know, how exciting this kid can be over a full season and beyond. You know, now we finally get a good look at him. And I think that's definitely one of the best results that have come out of this camp for the Marlins. Yeah. And in terms of results from camp, I want to ask both of you guys, what was your biggest takeaway or the the player or spot that came out as the biggest surprise to you throughout this month and a half of, of spring training as we get forward into heading into the regular season? Uh, Andre, yeah, I, I don't want to ruin it all, but we'll have, we'll have a column in the Herald tomorrow about Bender, about Anthony Bender and kind of how this all happened. Uh, so just stay tuned for that tomorrow. But it's really an intriguing story as to how he got to Miami and the negotiations that were going on with him, who in the organization found him, was involved in speaking to uh, his representatives and how they lured him to get to Miami. I, to me, that's the biggest surprise. Why is it the biggest surprise? Because I cover baseball and I never heard of the guy. <laughs> I never heard of him. I can't sit here and tell you that I knew who Anthony Bender was. And I feel like I have a good grip on not just 25-man roster, 26, excuse me, but like 40 guys deep. I could, I mean, you could give me Seattle. I think I could name their team. But I had no idea who Anthony Bender was, and he was fantastic. So to me, that's the biggest surprise. And I think that anybody who follows me knows that I, I would love to see and find a way for uh, Garrett Cooper to play every day. I don't know that that's in the cards. I mean, I think everybody knows that by now. But, I mean, the, have, not having the DH is certainly crushing. But how anybody could have had a better spring, I don't know. Uh, with his numbers, both uh, statistically and also the exit velocity off his bat. He's, but, uh, you know, Aguilar has been really good too. I, I get it. I understand kind of what they're going through Andre, but to me, uh, I got to find a way to get Cooper as many at bats as possible this season. I just, I have to find a way to do that. I don't know how the Marlins are going to do it, but that's what their goal is. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame, and, and it's a shame because I think by now DH should be universal for, for many reasons, not just this case, but I'm going to go with Zach Pop, and I know Jordan loves this kid, and he <laughs> loves what he saw in this kid all camp. Uh, he kept telling me about it, and I, I think, you know, the fact, not that he made the roster, because we knew with Rule 5 he probably would anyway, but just the performance and the value he could bring to this bullpen, you know, he looked solid. He looked sharp out there, you know, attacking the strike zone pretty much throughout every appearance he made. And again, it's a good addition and someone that they're going to need, you know, going forward to see if they can complement that rotation. So definitely, I think that's one of the pleasant surprises for them when it comes to a guy that was a little bit off the radar, too. And then for me, I'm going to go with a guy who was a little bit more known, made the debut last year, but the the improvement of Trevor Rogers really stood out to me during camp. I mean, we knew he was competing for one of the back end spots, but 29 K's in 19 innings, he's bulked up a little bit. Don Mattingly's mentioned just the growth of his neck, I think three or four or five different times. And he just seems to 
have found a groove. I need to see a little bit more of him when he has runners on base and he's pitching out of the stretch. That's really where he got hit hard last year was when he didn't have the clean innings. But he passed the eye test, at least to me, early in camp, and or at least throughout camp. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he builds off of an up-and-down season last year and a pretty good spring this year as he goes into his first full season. And then obviously just how they handle the rotation in general, I guess that sort of fits in as well when you consider the fact that it's a lot of talent, a lot of young guys, but outside of Sandy Alcantara, they don't have anybody who's pitched a full season from start to finish. So how they handle that, how they handle moving guys up and down to make sure everyone stays fresh and makes it through the season. We already saw what they're doing with Sixto, but it just makes it very interesting to see how Mel Schottemeyer Jr. can keep their innings in check, keep their performance in check and find ways to make sure everybody's healthy from start to finish, which that's going to be a key for this team. And that's where it's unfortunate what happened with Gio, because that was someone they were counting on to add some of that depth, especially starter innings, that sort of thing. And unfortunately, it didn't work out. Yeah, I, I, I still think, you know, if I had to guess uh, in terms of six, I, I six through seven or eight, I suppose Nick Nider ends up being their sixth starter. Braxton Garrett would probably be their seventh. And, and I know that we've seen a lot of Daniel Castano and, and maybe, you know, maybe he is their sixth, seventh or eighth, but I, I think those three names, am I missing anyone? I hope not. I think those, those are the three, main three. Yeah. Yeah. I think those, like if, if we're going deeper uh, that that's kind of the, the, the way that we're going with that. And and then, you know, I don't, I don't think Ross Detweiler will start, but he has started in the past and then, of course, at some point, guys will be asking Donnie, will they use an opener? It happens every year. They never do. But <laughs> I guess that's, that, that's, that's also a possibility. But, but Jordan, you're right also on, on Trevor Rogers. That's the one player I would say from my contacts within the organization universally that everyone is the most excited about going into the season. And if I'm not mistaken, barring some miracle, we'll get to see him Sunday against the Rays. So super excited to be at that game. Definitely. And with the opener, they have John Curtis, who did it last year. And mm. they also potentially have that swing man with Paul Campbell, who was a starter in the minor league. He could always – I know they're going to probably have to use him as long relief primarily, but there is also potentially the opportunity if they need to to have him make emergency starts as well. And he'll already be on the 26-man. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, listen, I mean, the, the way that the Marlins are, are positioned and, and the way that the roster is positioned, there, there's no doubt that I'll be, I'll be more bullish on them this year than I have probably in the last three or four years. It, it just, I've watched a lot of the games either in person or on television as much as I can. Uh, this has been a tough spring for me and, and really for everyone. We can't get in front of any players, executives, scouts, nothing. It's been extremely difficult only to watch. I'm not huge on results, but someone uh, told me the other day that, and I haven't put this out there yet, it's just interesting, that seven of the last 12 teams in spring training play that have finished with a 70% win percentage have made the postseason in that year. So if we're hanging on to something going into the year of, of, a, of a stat or a figure, uh, I was told that is the case. So I, I, I think they're going to be competitive. I think that this is going to be a fun year. 
and I, I don't know how far we're going to go. I, I guess, guys, my, my hesitation to go all in is something that I've, I've been kind of thinking and talking about a little bit more. I'd love to get your guys' opinion on this too, is that the, the reason why I can't say that I, I think they're going to win like 85 games or 86, because I, I believe they can. Like I kind of do believe that they have that possibility in them. My, my fear is, my fear is, is that you look at the division and they're, they're sitting there on July 31st, guys. And there's two teams, let's just say two teams ahead of them in the division. And there are several games out and there's not that expanded postseason. Do they go in that room, guys, and say, okay, Dickerson's a free agent, Marte's a free agent, Duvall's, you know, we can, you know, maybe move him, Anthony Bass. If they do that, what does that team look like in August and September, right? Like, they don't have guys to come up immediately, maybe J.J. Bleday, but they don't have a lot of of replacement-level players that can make me think that, that would make them a 500 team or better. That's my fear. I don't know if that's quantified, but that's what, that's why I'm not just sort of all in on it because it may be the right move. That may be the right move on July 31st to, to move your expiring contract players and then go back all in in 2022. But that's kind of where I'm at with the season. I think they're going to be good. I don't think they're going to be great. But I can't, I can't give them the postseason unless I knew you could tell me on August 1st the team would look the same. Yeah, I've got to agree with you there, Craig. Uh, it really is. It's a catch-22, a double-edged sword, whichever cliche phrase you want to use with it. And also a couple other guys. Jesus Aguilar last year before free right. agency. Jimmy Garcia last year before free agency. They have a lot of pieces they could move. And again, we know that they're going to want to see the kids at some point, but if they're in contention and they've been harping all all spring that they're in playoff mode, they're in that push for playoffs. It's hard for it's hard to, for them to outwardly justify making moves, making all the moves like that if they're as close as your your hypothetical puts them. If they're if they fall flat in their 15, 8, 15, 16 games under five hundred, yeah, we could easily see something by the trade deadline. But if they're within, I would want to say probably at least if they're within five games of a wild card spot, that's really where it puts them in that conundrum. And it's tough. It's very tough. tough. What do you think, Andre? I think that is the right move. I think that will be the right move. And it will be the move they'll have to do probably because that's probably where they're going to be when it comes to July 31st because of how stacked this division is. And we still have to see if this offense really can click when it counts against the tough pitching they're going to face night in and night out from the division, from other teams around the National League. If it does come together, I think they will be competitive. I'm just I'm hesitant to go that far on the win mark. I'm thinking somewhere in the 70s just because of all those factors. And because if they do make that move, the bottom could fall out quick in August and September, affecting that win total. But they're, they're just going to have to prove to everybody you know, that, that they can be, they can overachieve if they are going to do make some kind of a run, but the win total is not going to reflect how competitive this team is. I think they proved that last year, no matter what. And I think the way the, the way that they attack, the way that they're aggressive on the base paths, you've seen, you know, some of those factors, the way they hit, the way they pitch, they'll be in a lot of games, even if they, even if they're close defeats, let's say against some of these teams, because I mean, look at the rotations they're going to be up against night in and night out. It's going to be tough. 
Yeah, definitely. But it will make for an interesting season, whichever way it goes. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to have a one-on-one interview with Miguel Rojas that I was able to do uh, back on Saturday. So we'll get Miggy Rose's opinion on the club and their 2021 expectations when we come back. Thanks so much, Jez. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, for the second half of our Marlins opening day preview edition of the Fish Bites podcast, we have a special guest joining us. I had the chance to talk one-on-one with Marlins shortstop and de facto team captain Miguel Rojas this weekend to get his thoughts on the 2021 Marlins, building his brand off the field, and his plans for both the immediate and long-term future. Without further ado, here's Miguel Rojas. I'm going to start off a little bit on the fun side. Uh, we've seen your ability to be an interviewer and an interviewee from the Super Bowl and then what our interactions with you. You're on the podcast now. You've done the TV analyst stuff. Should I be worried for my job right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know what? Uh, I, I've, been, I've been thinking about uh, a, lot of, a lot of things that I can do after baseball. I'm not thinking about that far ahead yet. But uh, I don't want to close doors, so I, I always like to keep them open. Uh, I get my feet wet and everything that I can because uh, um, I just want to keep learning, you know, from a, a lot of different things that I do, you know, like understanding what uh, what you guys are going through, you know, as well. And that way I can be better when I'm when I'm asking questions, when I'm uh, trying to help my teammates uh, prepare for an interview or whatever it is. So. Um, I just I just like to do different stuff off the field, so that way I can I can continue to grow and uh, be better overall. Not just a baseball player, but uh, uh, in the game of baseball, you you never know what's gonna happen after. Uh, I definitely want to manage. I, I want to be a manager of a team one day, but uh, I, at the end of the day, uh, who knows what's gonna happen after after my baseball career. Have you talked with Donnie about? what it takes to be a manager, what what goes into it, the intricacies with all that? I mean, I know how close the two of you are. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I talk to Donny at least once or two times a year about managing, about uh, who he learned from, uh, um, the, the good things that Yogi Berra uh, talked to him about, uh, the good things about Joe Torre, the good managers that he's been around and and. A lot of things that he picked from those guys, and now I have the opportunity to pick the brain of Don Mattingly. And the most important thing is being yourself, right? But uh, you get a lot of knowledge from other people, and uh, that's going to make you a complete, not just a manager, but a complete person, a baseball person. Yeah, and to go into the bigger thing with everything that you're doing off the field, what is it like being able to see the Mickey Rowe brand start to grow between the podcast, the shoe collection, and seeing that people outside of Miami are starting to recognize who Miguel Rojas is? Yeah, it's important. It's not just for me or my family. It's, uh, it's, for, it's for the organization as well, you know, like you always do. Uh, your stuff and you're not thinking about just yourself. You're just thinking about, uh, who you're representing, uh, where you're playing, uh, 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 trying to, like, bring more fans to, uh, to our, to our ballpark and, and, and follow our organization. That's the main goal right here, you know? Because, uh, I mean, I'm gonna make the name, like, for myself playing baseball, you know? 
I, if I perform on the field, people are going to follow me. But uh, at the end of the day, it's, 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 it's bigger than just your name. It's uh, who you're representing, where you're coming from. I want people to know about Venezuela. I want people to know about Miami. So that's why I'm doing all this stuff so they know where I'm coming from and like how hard I've been working to be in the position that I'm at right now. Yeah, and you touched on fans. What's that going to be like to finally have them back in the ballpark after not having them last year while you guys made that run? What is it going to be like to see them when you get back on the field April 1st? And then secondly, how awkward, weird, eerie was it last year to be making the run you guys did without them in the ballpark with you? Yeah, it's going to be exciting, man. Uh, I'm excited to see all the faces come again, the guys uh I've been there for for the years that I've been here, you know. Like it's been it's been a long time uh, uh, since I get here in '15, and uh, I feel like I to connect now with fans that I have to uh, stay home and and enjoy what we did last year from home. Uh, hopefully, we get a lot of fans in the stadium. Uh, the capacity, we don't know what it is, but. Uh, at the end of the day, we, we're excited to play with fans again because, yeah, like you say, it was pretty quick last year. It was different. Uh, we have to bring energy from, from our teammates, from our, uh, our families. You know, it was a different kind of motivation. When, when you go to a baseball game and you have the fans there, that's the special adrenaline that you have every single night or every single day. And, uh, we're asking for the fans in Miami to bring it this year because we're going to be prepared. We're going to be ready for uh, an exciting year. And on that note, how important was for you, Tango, you did the clubhouse presented by Budweiser last year. And just how important was it for you to find that way to bring the fans in when they weren't able to physically be there with you? Yeah, I mean, that was an idea while quarantining. You know, a lot of people was doing a lot of Instagram live uh ways to communicate with fans while they were home quarantining and I, I thought it was a great idea, you know, because uh I, I even as a as a as a human being I was enjoying the, that that kind of content. So uh, I brought the idea to the market and to our, our social social media personnel and they, they liked the idea and, and connecting with fans, uh we had a lot of new players last year who made the debut and we got the opportunity to talk to them, you know. And, I mean, all the guys that haven't made the debut yet, like uh, Max Meyer, uh, JJ Blede, we talked to a lot of those guys, and uh, fans at least want to have the... Um, they, they already introduced themselves to fans, and now when they get to the big leagues that I'm pretty sure they're going to make, uh, they're they going to be knowing. And that's what that, that was one of my goals, and and uh, keep the fans involved in whatever we did last year. Definitely. And now to move forward to the season, give me the Miguel Rojas breakdown of this 2021 Marlins team. What should people be knowing about? What are the reasons for optimism? And just what's the vibe of the group as you guys get ready for opening day in a couple of days? Yeah, our expectations are high, man. Uh, we're not going to sell our, our, ourselves uh, short or... or or we're not gonna be afraid of the task of this division. We're gonna we're gonna be prepared. And we're gonna be ready for for what we wanna accomplish, which is uh, uh, dig what we did last year, make it to the playoff, uh, just just go there and and compete every single day. And we know it's gonna be a, a big fight, you know. Uh, every
everybody's going to be uh, beating each other up in, the, in this division because everybody's good. But we counting on our our starting pitcher is is amazing. I I, I can put it on on this league on this division with any other team because these guys are talented. So uh, I'm pretty excited what, about the team and what's gonna what's gonna happen this year. We never know what the results are gonna be, but at the end of the day, the most important thing is we're prepared, we're ready, and we're not afraid of. Uh, what we got in front of us. Uh, about me and, and personally, I just want to help the team win. Again, do everything that I can to make uh, everybody around me better and, and try to um, uh, help people to get better every single day. That's my goal. And, uh, and the personal personal thing, I just want to go to the, the playoff and, and see how far we can go. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. After making it to the playoffs and then losing in the divisional round, how much have you been itching to just get back on the field and prove to everybody that it wasn't a fluke that you guys made just because it was a 60-game schedule, expanded playoffs, yada, yada, yada? How much are you ready to prove that you guys can do that over the course of 162? Oh, to be honest with you, we're already proven it. You know, 11-5, and five, I think, in spring training, uh, playing really good baseball. I mean, our our guys uh, up of the ERA in a spring training. I know uh, these numbers don't count, and I don't pay uh, that much attention to these numbers because we're preparing for a long season. But at the end of the day, man, it's baseball. You know, you gotta go out there and win games every single day. It doesn't matter if it's little league, ball, uh, whatever it is. You're winning baseball games. That means your team is better than the other team, and uh, uh, that's that's happening right now. I think we set the tone last year in spring training, and uh, uh, we're doing the same right this year, and we can't wait to uh, start the year on, on, on Thursday. Uh, not putting any pressure on, on ourselves because no one's picking up to win, so uh, we just got to go out there and show that what happened last year wasn't just a just coincidence or a fluke. And now from a personal standpoint, since you took over as the everyday shortstop in 2019, we've known what you've been able to do on defense, but we've really seen the offense pick up on your end. Is there anything you can attribute to that from what we've seen from you at the plate over the last two years? Is it a matter of just being out there every day, having that comfortability of knowing you're in the lineup, or was there anything else that you were able to do to get your swing right and be able to start producing more out there at the plate? Yeah, I think I continue to learn every single year, man. To be honest with you, I feel like uh, every experience that you have uh, teach you uh, something and and give you the opportunity to uh, make adjustments. So I've been making a lot of adjustments to my swing. I know how uh, how get myself back when I'm lumping or when I'm not doing that good. I know what drills I can do in the cage to get back uh, to to the, the hitter that I know I can be. And for me, as a goal, I think I just want to be a big hitter, you know, not just a guy who can hit for power or just uh, put the ball in play or or or, or not striking out much and walking. I just I just want to be that complete player. I can do a little uh, a lot in and uh, something that I probably gonna be hitting eight this year. You know, we're not gonna have the DH. It's gonna be um, a challenging uh, task for me again, hitting eight in front of the pitcher. But I think I'm, I'm, I'm capable and I know how to uh, take the responsibility there and and actually like get my at, uh, at, at 
productive as I can and continue to get better every single day because uh, that's how you, uh, you continue to get better. Yeah, and just your thoughts on the lineup overall. I mean, you guys are basically the same group that you were last year with the addition of Adam Duvall as the only difference between what you guys had towards the end of the last season. How much do you think that continuity is going to help knowing that basically everybody already knows what everyone wants to do with the plate. You know how each other is going to, to work. You guys basically know what your lineup's going to look like every day. How much does that continuity help, especially over the course of a long season? Yeah, you got to give credit to the coaching staff. You know, the coaches are, are doing a great job uh, communicating with us, telling us where we're going to be so we can be prepared. You know, nothing here that's happening here happened for uh, – uh, it's a surprise, you know, happening for a season, you know where you're going to be, is, and that's the way that you that you should feel, you know, you should feel like you're prepared for every single opportunity, and I think that this lineup is going to be a uh, force, and I, I said it before, because uh, we got a lot of ways to score runs, I think uh, uh, Starling Marte healthy in the middle of that lineup is going to be uh, huge for, for the whole year for us, we will, we knew um, that, that he was a great player, but now seeing him on a, on an everyday basis, it's unbelievable. The guy can run, the guy can for power, the guy got a lot of uh, gold glove defense. So um, for me, having him right there in the two hole every single day is really really important because he can do a lot of things for us. And uh, well, you know, you know how this Aggie Coop, mm-hmm. the guy that, that that driving me in the runs are are there and. Uh, I, I think our lineup is so deep that we can we can move guys up and down. But at the end of the day, it's, uh, all the all the credit to the coaches for getting us ready and preparing us for the year. Yeah, and then on the prospect side, I wanted to just get your thoughts on a couple of the middle infielders in Jose Devers and Nassim Nunez. What have you seen out of both of them during camp, and what really stands out about both of those guys? Yeah, those those two guys, especially uh, uh, in this camp, they they under 20 years old. Remember, like these guys are so young, and sometimes uh, it's hard to put in perspective that these guys are are in big league camp, playing against big league pitchers, and uh, uh, competing against the best in the world, and they under 20 years old, and that's amazing. That's that's something that uh. It surprised me the, the, the way that they carried themselves already. So, uh, uh, really impressive that the, the depth that we have. It's not just them. We got uh, Ian Lewis coming, uh, for, uh, minor league spring training and starting, uh, soon. Uh, we got other guys, Salas from Venezuela. Uh, really excited about that kid too. Uh, I mean, the future looks bright and it's not just pitching or or hitting on, on shortstop is, is overall, you know, our organization uh, did a great job acquiring all this talent a couple years ago, and now we're seeing that they're getting closer. So uh, I, I feel like myself is to get better because uh, if not, these guys are going to be really soon. Yeah, no, definitely. I've got uh, two more questions for you, Miggy. Uh, first off, now that you've had some chance for some face-to-face interaction, What's been your early impressions of new GM Kemang, and just what have your interactions been like with her over camp? Yeah, I think it's been really fluid, uh, really good. Uh, uh, Kim has been uh, uh, available every single day for us, uh, and one of the things that I pay attention, even when 
we have all these protocols and the COVID and all that, that, you know, like we can be uh, like on the same place, uh, like we used to be with, uh, with GMs and, and the, the personnel that work in the front office. She's always around. She's always watching BP. She's always in the game and they're almost in the first row, you know, and, and that's important to me. And that, the, for me, that's everything because, uh, you know, she's caring about their players and, and, and the way that, uh, she's watching everything from, from first hand. That, that, that's for me, that's important and availability. Like if she's there, we're always going to have questions for her and our, our communication is going to be fine just because she's always around and it's been amazing and it's been a uh, really good support. Definitely. And then last one, uh, can you just walk us through the position you're in right now? It's you're in the last year of your contract. I know you have the option for 2022. Uh, have you started thinking about what could be next or is there any way, are you going to try to find a way to stay with the Marlins if you can next year? Is there anything you can give us on that front? <laughs> yeah. If, uh, if I want to be here when everything started four years ago, great. But it's been a, it's been a long time now, right? Uh, if I wanted to be here in 2018, uh, even more now in 2021, I would be here for the rest of my career. Uh, I always said it and I'm not saying those for, for my mouth out. Uh, that's what I feel in my, in my heart, my family and, and the people in South Florida know that, uh, I want to stay here. I know this is a year where, um, I have this option for next year, but, uh, I mean, uh, um, Organization knows and everybody knows that uh, the way that I feel about this organization and now more than ever, I want to spend the good times and the good years that are, that are ahead. I want to spend it here in Miami. Hopefully I can stay, I can stay here and uh, hopefully I can see and I can be part of a championship team. Definitely. That's everything. Thank you so much as always, Miggy. I always appreciate talking with you and fingers crossed we'll be able to see each other in person at some point this season. I know, I know, Jordan. Thank you very much. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Fish Bites. Thanks so much again for listening. And when we return next week, we'll have live, actual, regular season games to talk about. But between now and then, make sure to check out the Miami Herald website for all of our coverage. Thanks so much, and we'll be back again next week.